Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. So this evening, I'm sat with Alistair Skinner, Managing Director of the Hargreaves Group of Companies. The group holds over 2.5 million square foot of commercial space, plus 100 residential units, and is a private investment and development company focused in the southeast. Now, Alistair's built a career in asset and investment management, often for private businesses. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing how these entrepreneurs have shaped Alistair's career, particularly the earlier career, and how that might have impacted in the outlook and what's in store for him in the future. So, Alistair, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Nick. And I'm uh, looking forward to this uh, podcast. Well, you're on. You're on. So, So let's get us started, shall we? How does chapter one begin? Well, chapter one starts in uh, my hometown of uh, Edinburgh when I was in the uh, equivalent of the fifth form down here in senior school. And we were tasked with uh, coming up with uh, ideas on some work experience we'd want and the school would help place you on that work experience. And I, um, without having any real interest at property at that age, was... uh, selected to go on a work experience with a firm of surveyors in Edinburgh called DM Hall. And uh, this was a two-week uh, work experience. And uh, after sort of the first day, I thought, oh, this this is quite interesting. I'm getting out and about. I'm meeting new people. I'm not sort of tied to a desk all day. And uh, it was just something that sort of struck an interest in property. So following that, I then um, decided, right, I'm going to go and look at uh, studying this. So I ended up going to Harriet Watt University and doing a BSc in estate management there. So I did that, thoroughly enjoyed it. It kept the interest in property going. Um, And then following graduation, I was committed and thought, right, I'm going to get into property. At this point, it was probably around about 94. And uh, there weren't a huge amount of what they called the sort of milk rounds going on or coming to to Harriet Watt University. So I got the pen and paper out, wrote to many sort of organisations. Um, I think I got uh, on the graduate intake with Jones Lang LaSalle, but was unfortunate not to get on their, um, their programme. But I think in hindsight, that actually... Um, was it was a great benefit so i um was writing out there and i got offered a internship with a firm called Ryden in edinburgh who had a very good name in scotland and uh, i started working there within their industrial agency department so see this was an internship that was really booked in for a period of one month after those three weeks of working at Ryden, i was then approached for interview with a firm of surveyors called J. Trevor and Webster, which then became Gooch Wagstaff and ultimately became Colliers. So I went over, this job was in Glasgow, so I moved city from Edinburgh to Glasgow, not particularly far, but I went over there and uh, I was sort of from day one immediately sort of in at the coalface. They'd recently won the contract with Scottish Enterprise to manage their portfolio. So again, I was in the industrial agency department and I was dealing with, uh, you know, lettings and all agency matters on behalf of Scottish Enterprise, you know, carefully monitored by uh, my director there, Neil Colburn, who, you know, was a great influence and a great support 
early on in my career. They had also, part of the contract was also the management and investment work. So, you know, from day one, I was also sort of getting involved with the management, sitting in meetings that was dealing with the whole, the whole sort of portfolio. So I was constantly sort of picking up, you know, additional ideas, thoughts, um, than just the pure agency work. So I worked there. That was a great, great experience. And, you know, with all due respect to Scottish Enterprise, their portfolio certainly had its challenges because they'd invested in a lot of um, properties that were in sort of deprived areas. And it's where they had invested sort of hoping for inward investment following the sort of demise of the coal industry, etc., and the steel industry in and around Glasgow. So from day one, I was sort of dealing with, you know, very challenging properties and fairly, um, you know, challenging locations. And I think that sort of really brought to me a sort of desire and a sort of skill to be sort of creative. And it wasn't just sort of being spoon fed a wonderful instruction that you sort of went through, you know, getting the boards, doing the marketing particulars. It really was you had to sort of scratch your head, think creatively. And also you were dealing with, you know, applicants that, probably were not particularly property affa so a lot of it was sort of educating them and taking them on the journey so that was sort of my my time at J Trevor and Webster in Glasgow which uh, lasted two years um, and towards the end of the two years I sort of thought look what other opportunities are there within within this business and I looked at maybe moving to office agency but the then managing director, had taken over the role as the MD of J. Trevor and Webster UK. So he effectively moved down to London and asked me if I'd like to come down to London. So I thought, what a fantastic opportunity. And I moved down to London with J. Trevor and Webster, where, you know, it was a completely different environment to working in Scotland. I loved that sort of challenge. I loved sort of the anonymity of working in London. Um, and I, again, worked with some great people there. However, I felt for my sort of career development that the sort of instruction list and the works I was dealing with at J. Trevor Webster in London was sort of had probably taken a step back from the sort of work I was dealing with and involvement across sort of all sectors of the business that I was doing in Glasgow. Um, so I decided after I got my APC, because I delayed that by a year because I didn't want to be hit by landlord and tenant matters. I got my APC and thought, look, I need to move on. And I thought, what can I do? So I then thought I didn't get an opportunity in one of the big sort of agencies, the big corporate agencies. So I ended up uh, applying and getting a job at Helian Baker. So working at Helian Baker, working with some great clients, but also accepting that I was still in the industrial agency department and we were very much the sort of um the poorer relations to the retail agents and the investment agents and uh, how how times have changed now but uh, back then you were in the back office working on industrial agency you know i had some great great work to do there but also there was a couple of uh, moments at helium baker that i think were quite sort of career defining for me in the sense that I, I look back at them and sort of think, oh, that sort of changed my approach. Um, one of them was, you know, we, I was dealing with a 
letting of an industrial estate in North London. I'd been working very hard on this. Thought I'd have, you know, agreed in principle this fantastic deal to have a chat with a fund manager at Henderson who owned the property, who effectively just finished the call with, well, that's all very interesting, but go away and roll your bloody sleeves up. So at that point, I sort of thought, oh, oh dear. I could have thought quite crestfallen by that, but I actually thought, look, this is a skill where I sort of thought, you're not going to break a deal. You've got to just keep keep pushing it and learn the skill of negotiation where you can always keep the window open. So I rolled my sleeves up, did what the fund manager said, and we agreed a great deal. Another time, which was really uh, another sort of one of these moments that I look back at was um, Helium Baker uh, and the um, partner in charge of industrial, we were advising Slough Estates, who were a big client there, on a potential development again in North London. And I turned up at this meeting with the chairman of Slough Estates, the son of the owner of Slough Estates, the head of development and the head of marketing. And I turn up on my own with no one else from Helium Baker there. And I think the simple thing, Nick is just to say I was absolutely annihilated in that meeting, sort of left that thinking, oh dear, am I going to be turning up tomorrow with a, <laughs> with a P45 waiting on, on, on my desk? But that wasn't the case. I went in, spoke to the partner, was very honest about my annihilation, and he sort of suggested how we might approach this uh, going forward. So we came up with a solution presented that to Slough Estates. But again, it just sort of, it just reiterated to me that this was all around sort of just supply and demand and the design around development and the detail. And it really just taught me, you know, to take criticism or these sort of awkward situations, reflect on them and actually turn them into a positive. So I did that and we ended up doing a very successful development with Slough Estates. And I think I earned a few more brownie points from them, which I must say were in negative uh, credit after that meeting. So Helium Baker, that really, I would say, was sort of my, the sort of first chapter, the sort of what I'd say, the real learning, the understanding property, understanding getting into work, creating, beginning to create a, a peer group. And this was very much on the sort of agency side, focused on sort of industrial, a bit of business space. And that was really what I call in my career, sort of chapter one, before I moved to the next stage, which was moving client side to work with Ashton. And while we're on that sort of that pause then, Whilst I've been sort of sitting back and sort of listening to this, it, mm -hmm. it reminded me of something that someone had said about you when I was doing our research in prep for the podcast. Now, I'm going to do this in, in two stages. So they said, they said something that stuck with me, and they said that Alistair would make himself invaluable to any team for a very, very young age. And then he gave me three things that he thought were the reasons you were able to do that. Out of curiosity, what do you think he's? What do you think he says? I think he a willingness to sort of do anything, a sort of can-do approach. Um, maybe one, yeah, one, one so far. <laughs> um, emotional sort of 
intelligence, wanting to, sh to uh, showing an interest in your colleagues, trying to have a connection with them, maybe outside of just the pure work. I'll give you half a point for that, but one and a half out of two. Not doing too badly here. Um, and three, I have no idea, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so this is this is what. So after saying that, um, you would you would make yourself an invaluable member of a team from a very very young age. Um, he said it was because Alistair had, um, was extremely proactive, very intelligent, and hardworking. Now, it's really easy to say, you know, those are the ingredients for you know for any anybody, no matter yeah. what their level. But it's it is something about I think that the reason that stuck with me it was about being invaluable to any team from a very very young age, and that that is a trick, isn't it? Now, being able to to show your worth, being able to to stand up on your own your own two feet at a at a young age when when particularly sort of met with teams who are more senior and probably customers who are more senior to you as well, that's no easy feat. So I wanted to ask you your advice now to anyone listening who is who is sat particularly in, in an agency or a, or an advisory sort of role, wanting to stand out, wanting to be in, wanting to have that that same badge applied to themselves about being invaluable what would what advice would you give to them well I, nick my advice would be is to basically have a have a can-do approach do everything with a smile and enthusiasm you know work work hard but i think it's just being able to relate to people at different levels you know with your peer group with people more senior and it's just being able to just pause and think but just articulate and just keep it quite simple don't waste your time sort of you know with a lot of flannel just try and give people simple answers and I think you've just you know be respectful be respectful of people but also have have a drive and confidence that that, that you care and try and show an element of passion maybe that's what i did i think maybe i i sort of showed an interest and passion and maybe that's why they thought i was invaluable <laughs> well they obviously worked right yeah. so let's get let's get back to the uh, back to the story um, yeah. uh, uh, i interrupted you when you you were sort of introducing ashtem yeah okay so i'd been in um agency this would have been coming up for close on 6 years of agency and I really enjoyed agency, but I probably, if I'm being honest, maybe looked at partners of an agency team or directors of an agency team, and I probably thought, I don't really just want to do that. I'd always sort of had a more of an interest with understanding what clients did, and that might have come from the time that I was told to roll my sleeves up. It wasn't just I was going through a process. There was many other factors that this fund manager there was considering than just getting this building let. So I'd always had an interest in going to client side, and I think I'd probably had that vision to go to client side. And I was lucky, lucky enough that Ashton approached me when I was at Helium Baker to go and join them. Uh, to become asset manager for their Southeast and Midlands portfolio. And this had come about um, my relationship with Ashton. I'd also acted for them when I was in Glasgow working at J. Trevor and Webster. And they'd obviously felt I'd done a good job or maybe they felt, God, he's made us, you know, he's invaluable, maybe coming, coming back to that, Nick. But I went to join them and that working at Ashton at that point was incredibly rewarding 
and you know great fun but very hard work it was a very early stage of ash 10 and um, this was when it had been set up by ian watson and morgan jones who you know have gone on to do great things with ash 10 and um, with hans teen etc and they were an accountant and lawyer by trade they'd previously worked at arlington and i just felt working with them you know they really supported me. They really looked at things slightly differently because they were a lawyer and an accountant. My direct boss at Ashton, a chap called Mark Ovens, he was um, he was an accountant as well. And it was sort of the first place that I'd gone into, you know, a client where it wasn't being really driven by surveyors. And I found that sort of fascinating on the analytical side of things. And it also, it was quite a steep learning curve going from, you know, advisory to client side, but they were very supportive. And it was also, I would say, uh, asset class that I really understood. It was, they were industrial, they were industrial landowners. So it was an asset class I stood. So that gave me an element of comfort, but it really was an interesting time. And it was, you know, a steep learning curve going to client side, but also one that they were very supportive and without wanting to reiterate myself and go over it, but in an asset class I knew. So I worked at Ashton and that was fascinating, really interesting. And then I came to the um, age of just before 30 and I thought to myself, look, I've not ever really had a gap year. I've not really done any traveling. And I thought to myself, this is probably the opportunity I have to take a bit of time out before I maybe go into the next stage of one, my career, but equally importantly, my life and getting married and having children. So I decided at that point to speak to Ashton and say, look, I want to go off. And we decided I didn't want to take a sabbatical because I didn't know how long this would um how long this would last and I didn't want to be tied into going back to somewhere because I didn't know what the experience of traveling might might create for me as an individual and where I might want to go in life so I went and did a ski season in New Zealand traveled around India and then about five months later came back to London still having a passion for uh for property and realizing I wasn't going to become a full-time ski instructor so I came back to London and I thought, what will I do? And I, I had this feeling that I didn't want to go back to Ashton, not because of anything bad. I just wanted to move on. And I felt because I'd gone off traveling, um, I just felt I wanted a new chapter. So at this point, I came back and in fairly short order, managed to get a position working with Gort Securities, which was effectively the private property business of a high net worth individual from Ireland called Henry Gwynne Jones. So I joined Henry and the portfolio was circa sort of 80 million. There was four of us in the business and we grew that over two and a half years to 150 million. In going to Gort, what that added to my skills was, you know, we, we invested in all asset classes. So I We'd invest in offices. We had an element of leisure, um, and also quite a quite a bit of retail. So that then expanded my knowledge from an asset management and investment management 
point of view on other asset classes. I also started at this point to get involved in a bit of the um, financing and the debt behind the business. So I was involved in sort of discussions around facility agreements, but I must admit at that point at a fairly low entry level. So my time at Gort, I felt I'd added some further strings to my career bow and, um, you know, was having a great time. And then after two and a half years, Henry decided that he wanted to sell the UK business to then go forward and invest in southern and central Europe. Henry already at this point had a couple of investments in uh, Bulgaria and Romania. So we sold the UK business and Henry then offered me a job in Bucharest. I'd been out there a few times. And at that point, I decided, as I just got married, not to go to Bucharest as that I just felt that was not going to be the correct career move for me. So at that point, I then ended up getting a position as a Felicity Devonshire's right-hand man at Devonshire Investment Holdings, where I spent a really enjoyable sort of nine years with 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 many challenges, but you know also some really good up, upside as well and some really good positive stories. So I went over to join Felicity, and at that point it was a sort of eighty million pound business, and we grew that to one hundred and fifty million just before the financial crash um, came in sort of 2008. So at that point, we had to sort of pivot the industry, the pivot the business, because we had this hundred million pounds worth of debt. The bank was wanting to have discussions with us. And then that really took me, I'd say, into the next sort of big tick I think in terms of my career which was really getting involved with working with the bank very closely doing a refinancing coming up with a business plan setting up the business really for the next sort of five to ten years in line with the debt strategy that we'd agreed with Nationwide and that was absolutely sort of fascinating Um, and I got a huge you know a huge amount of new knowledge there with it being in a very small business and I would say this was similar to Gort but at Devonshire it was even more more so the case because I was really Felicity's right-hand man I was getting involved in everything Um, and I was at the coalface on debt the coalface on occupational stuff the coalface on investment and that you know dealing with advisors from letting agents to you know brokers to top investment bankers to lawyers to corporate lawyers to accountancy you know I really got exposure and managed to sort of really up and build on my existing peer group and network group which you know really has put me in a really good position now that I can go and touch base with my peer group, with my network group. I've always got somewhere I have made a connection in my career to go and touch base or get assistance or chat to them about an issue or a good story. And that has been invaluable for me. But I'd probably say, Nick, it's not just been about property. I've always had from, and this might come back to what you were talking about 
when you chatted to someone that knew me in my career and how I made myself invaluable. I've always sort of had this thirst for knowledge, but I've had this thirst for knowledge sort of outside of property. So I've been very conscious to have uh, peer group and friends and connections that have nothing to do with the property industry. I just find it gives you a different aspect and it can take you out of peer group, any peer group thinking that you might have. And I think that's quite an important thing to do. I'd always had this view that, you know, we've really come on as a property industry. But I think when I was sort of in property at an early age, apart from, look, there's always going to be some outliers and there's going to be, this is a general statement. But I do find that property often was sort of the follower. It wasn't, you know, equities. It wasn't people necessarily leading the charge. I think property professionals in the old days used to follow a bit, but I think that's completely changed. But by having a wider peer group outside of that, I could sort of use those skills or conversations or experiences to try and push my experience of property forward and get more skills and maybe that made me invaluable or maybe people listened to me a bit more because I was maybe coming at it from a slightly different view. So if I could just interrupt and ask this, so because there's, there's some things sort of in the you know, sort of whirring away in, um, in my head at the moment. What you, what you described then about being exposed to a different world, a much wider world of responsibility... And in many ways, sort of now sort of elevating yourself outside of that, of the traditional sort of day to day responsibilities of, of someone within property or within real estate. I am curious as to not what that meant for you, because I, I think anyone listening to this could easily interpret that. But for anyone who isn't in the same role as you, anyone who's maybe still within traditional um, surveying practice advisory role, what advice might we be able to give them to help them to do to be able to go on a similar journey to you to really stretch themselves? Yeah. Okay, Nick. Uh, I, I like the fact you've used the word stretch because I think I've always I, I I my advice would be to sort of stretch yourself in terms of your job, stretch your knowledge. But I think for me, well, this isn't about me. It's about my advice. Sorry. It is. I think just my advice would be look at what sort of how you can add value to the process. Don't just look at it within the sort of narrow um, lane that you're working in, sort of staying in the lane. Look at how you can add to that, what other branches, what way you can go and make sure that you share that with the people you work with and the people you work for, for, and they will actually respect that. They'll see that you are considering something, the bigger picture, bringing your experience, I think, into day-to-day work and what you're doing can expand that sort of highway or that lane that you're on. And I think it can sort of turn it into a super highway is what I'd probably say. And that's that's what I wanted to do. But it, it's a just having a thirst of knowledge can-do approach, what value you can add with everything that you've learnt, one within property but outside of property, and trying to constantly push 
the lane, the boundaries of the lane that you work in. And certainly from going client side, um, as opposed to sort of advisory, that lane can be as wide as you want it to be because you are dealing with all aspects of um, all aspects of work. Um, and that that would be my advice, Nick. Uh, and and uh, I think I think we're onto something here because yeah. you know part of the reasons why I I set up to do, to do this was I wanted to create a playbook for a successful career. And I, the more I do it, you know, the, the more the more sort of plays and the more sort of avenues I learn about sort of how people have become successful. And I think this is something really interesting, isn't it? To anyone who's in an advisory right now who sees their boss or their their seniors as being the best, you know, the best industrial agent, you know, the, the best investment manager, the best um, uh, sort of office asset manager, you know, that, that is a very legitimate ambition. But at the same time, it's also extremely narrow as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy then to, to forget that actually, if your ambition then is to go beyond your category, to step outside of that lane, if you truly want to be a leader within real estate, actually having such a narrow skill set can, can often go against you uh, as, as that career expands and grows. Mm-hmm. And so being able to do just what you did there, whereby sort of you broaden your horizon, not narrow that horizon, I, th- I think is really, really important. Yeah. I mean, I agree, Nick, certainly from my own perspective, but I think there was something in the sort of earlier stage before I went client side where I sort of was sort of very much industrial agency based. And I looked at that and I looked at the directors there and all respect to them, wonderful guys, some great leaders and great people to work with. But it was just something I didn't want to do. I wanted to be sort of bigger than that, have more of a challenge, be potentially spinning more plates. And that was something that I was, I, I've just always had that. I think it's just having that ambition that I wanted to constantly challenge myself. And, you know, I, I sit in meetings and I've been with people and people might make a statement uh, when they're talking about someone or you're looking to employ someone um, or you're doing a piece of work with them. And I, I hear this statement a bit where they go, oh, they're, they're, not the, they're not quite the finished article. My view, Nick, is, I never want to be the finished article. <laughs> I always want to be improving. I always want to be learning more. I always want to be seeing how can I add value to this business? How can I help people that I work with? How can I help them on the stepping stones that I made? All I can do is suggest and give them some advice. If they want to come and do it, I think they'll have an interesting career. But I just had that sort of ambition and drive and that thirst for knowledge that you know i want to be effectively on you know just about to be put six foot under and still not quite be the finished article all right you're on well let's <laughs> let's let's get back to the, let's get back to the story there because um we were uh careering t- towards sort of 2008 big date yeah. in most people's sort of diary here yeah. with uh, with gort yeah um, well, that was, yeah, Nick, that was 2008. At that point, I was at, this was when I was at Devonshire. Sorry, big pardon. We, yeah, we were doing the, the, the refinancing and, uh, you know, we were, you know, we were very successful in organizing all of that. We worked through the business plan. It was great. But 
I did come up with a slight challenge there where we were doing very well. Our profitability was fine. But I had another challenge in my career, which was I sort of walked in one day. Uh, it was during the recession. And I was just told, look, we're going to sort of half your package. So that was quite a challenge for me. But what I did was I pervade the market. I realized what it was and thought, look, I've still got a job to do here at Devonshire. So against that, I stayed at Devonshire. We delivered the whole business plan and that was great. However, the outcome of the business plan is we'd really gone from a portfolio of 150 million to 100 million. And there was not any real sight of any further debt or any further equity from the family. So at this point, I felt my career was maybe stagnating a bit. And I didn't just want to be a journeyman. And I wanted to always have that challenge and always keep, keep, keep moving. So at that time, I then was approached by Henry again from Gort Securities. And this point, after his sort of uh, his investing in Central Eastern Europe, he decided to come back into the UK. So he, he, he approached me and said, look, would you like to come back in? I've got a seed portfolio of sort of 30 million. Do you want to come in? We'll get some finance and, 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 and grow this business. So at this point, um, there's a bit I hadn't filled in in the story, but in the last two years of working at Devonshire, um, the family, uh, my wife and I and children, my wife and I decided we moved back up to Scotland. We had young children and we sort of thought, look, London's maybe not, not the place for them. So we moved up to Scotland. I always say, Nick, we moved up to Scotland so we could vote against independence. But that was probably quite an extreme move just to do that. But so we, we, we moved back up there and I was still commuting to um, to London and was a, uh, a band of many other people that do that. And so we're up in, I was commuting, as I say, then Henry approached me. As Henry was offshore, this gave me the opportunity to be more based back in Scotland. So... I felt my career at Devonshire was sort of becoming a bit stagnated. Um, I then went to join Henry. Uh, I worked with him for probably a year and we built the portfolio up to 80 mil. We did a refinance of um, uh, senior and mes debt there. But it was becoming quite apparent that even though it had given me the opportunity to move back up to Scotland, it was again, there was no real sort of growth prospects on that business. So at that point, I was then approached through through a lawyer that acted for Hargreaves. I was approached by Hargreaves, who I had known um, and had met uh, Richard, the MD and son of the founding owner. So I started work at Hargreaves in January 2016 as commercial director. So it was a huge business, you know, it was circa 250, 300 million, you know, had been a developer that had effectively built and developed 90% of the investment stock that it owned. Um, you know, it was a great business, some fantastic assets. So I joined Hargreaves and within eight weeks, unfortunately and very sadly, the founding partner, um, Neville Andrew, passed away and he had been very active in the business. He was still executive chairman. So that created a big change in the business and a, and a lot of things where I had to provide 
support to Richard's son and the business in doing that. And maybe that's, again, coming back to I managed to sort of position myself and be able to understand and read the sort of signs and have the emotional intelligence, again, maybe to position myself where I became invaluable again. So I supported Richard in in sort of trying to just reposition and settle the business down following the um, passing of his father and the, 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 the founder. So over the next three years, Richard and I spent a lot of time and work on what we were going to do with the business going forward. And we came to the conclusion that we needed to sort of best way to describe it is maybe professionalize the business, take it away from just being, you know, all filtered up to one family member and all the responsibility and accountability and decisions being on this one family member. So we, we, we decided to, um, we agreed that I would move into the role of managing director in 2020. We would set up a board. We would set up an IC committee. We do a lot of work around family governance so that the family could feel they were in a position that they were getting the appropriate reporting from the business, reserved matters for the family, what would be agreed with the business. And for me, Nick, that was just, it's been, you know, one of the steepest learning curves in my career, but fascinating. And, you know, it's a great privilege to have been given that opportunity by by the family. So in this transition to me to MD, I was sort of becoming more and more sort of responsible for sort of unaccountable for the for the day-to-day business. But being involved in setting up a board from new, being setting up an investment committee, you know, really has given me some great experiences at a really sort of top corporate level. Um, so I became managing director. I have a team of circa 30 people underneath me working with me they've been fantastic but very much we had there was a bit of a cultural work we had to work on nick in terms of changing the culture from what was historically a certain way of running a business because you had the founder at the top and he could effectively make any decision he wanted there wasn't a huge amount of reporting or governance in the build in in the building sorry excuse me in the business and um, so we had to 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 work on all of that and it's been great and I would stay coming back to my earlier comment on not being the finished article you know I'm still not the finished article but I'm way up the top and had an amazing it's been an amazing privilege and experience to work to where I am and it's just again that um thirst for knowledge, can-do approach, positioning yourself so you become invaluable um, to to, to the business. And this is also, again, coming back to sort of thinking outside of the peer group of property. I'm dealing with bankers, I'm dealing with NED directors, I'm thinking about formulating strategy, I'm thinking about employee engagement and you know, elements that I'd just never, you know, I'd never come across. I had to teach myself these things. I had to use the support of people outside of a peer group. And I think 
when you're in this position, you need to have that. So I've got a great mentor, um, which the business kindly supports me with. And, you know, that that's invaluable just to bounce ideas off because I don't know, I think you may have heard this in some of the other podcasts you've done, Nick, but it, it can be quite a lonely place being a managing director. And certainly the challenges through, you know, COVID and becoming resilient through that. But, you know, it's it, it's been fantastic. But Again, it's been within private businesses and it's understanding and respecting families families and generations of those families that you're working for. You seem, I don't know, I've not worked in a big corporate, but you feel more connected to them and maybe more responsible because you're more connected. And, and that's, that leads me on to something that, I, that I, I'd noticed. When, yeah. when you look back at your career, whilst it's been very, very successful, you know, there, um, there's an obvious thread there in who you've chosen to work for. Mm-hmm. Ash 10 obviously lately became a larger, more corporate yeah. business, but even the the point where you, you joined them, it was very much in that startup owner, founder style. And, and that feels like the connection between all these companies, whereas even going right back to your very early days, you know, those practices you worked for latterly became Colliers and then latterly became Cushman's. Mm-hmm. But the time you're there, these are small, either entrepreneurial or family-owned businesses. And I wanted to ask you why. why what was it that kept drawing you into that, into that style of business? I think what drew me and kept drawing me into that sort of style of business uh, Nick was the the fact that it was exciting. I felt there was a challenge. I felt there was an opportunity because when you're working in these small businesses, you are given responsibility for many tasks that you may not be given if you worked in a big corporate. Mm-hmm. You're also dealing with many different aspects of the business. So you're not sort of siloed into a certain area or coming back to what we touched on earlier, you're not sort of staying in a narrow lane. That is quite a wide highway and it's got quite a lot of turn-offs and slip roads to it that you you can get involved in. I feel maybe as well that people, you've got a bigger voice in these organisations and I don't know, maybe my character at some stage might have a little bit of introvert in it. Um, And maybe being in these um, smaller organisations, I felt I could influence, add value um, and be a voice and shape them more than I could in a corporate. But as I say, in a bigger PLC, I've not had experience of that. But I think they were the drivers that's drawing me into these businesses. Interesting. And you mentioned character then. And again, this brings up something that I that I heard about doing our research. And one of the questions I um, I ask the people who we speak to, I ask them to, to, to describe our, our guests using what they think are their most common or most prominent traits. And one of the, one of the people I spoke to said calm. And this is what they this is what they followed up with. They said, I don't believe I have ever seen Alistair stressed. Would you agree with that? Um, well, it, that, that that's obviously some outward uh, <laughs> outward view I give. But no, I, I, I definitely get stressed. I think we all have that. But I've always tried to be very measured and reserved and measured and thoughtful. And I'm not a sort of shoot from the hip sort of, sort of guy. Um, and I always try and keep calm because 
in my position that I'm in in Hargreaves and also working in some of these smaller private businesses because you've got owner founder some things when they go wrong or things are not going the way they can become quite personal to the owners and they can get quite sort of agitated or frustrated so I need to be there as the calm influence of look this is a situation what's the solution and in my position at Hargreaves I've got a fantastic leadership team I've got a much wider team around me that are great but there are moments where there will be stressful situations and my position is to keep them calm to work on the solution because I think people can waste a lot of their time stressing about things that's not productive because you waste time and energy on that where there could be an easier pathway or a solution or acceptance of a problem. So Alistair, before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask you one more question. Given what we've been talking about uh, retrospectively, given what we've been talking about sort of leading up until this point, I want to be able to give our listeners a clue in terms of what's going to come next. So what is next for you? Well, what is next for me, having been given the privilege of uh, becoming managing director of Hargreaves and um, acting on behalf of the Andrew family, for me, it's quite clear what the next stage is. It is to deliver effectively our 10-year strategy, which is effectively doubling the gross asset value of the business, increasing net asset value, growing this business, and ensuring that it is ready for the next generation of the Andrew family. And that wants to be really the legacy that I leave is Hargreaves is in a better place and fit for the future um, than when I started. Well, that's it. I wanted to wrap it up right in, uh, now, but thank you so much then for sharing not only the story, but that insight into, into I think, what many would describe as, as a part of the real estate sort of environment that's got real mystique working for these really interesting sort of families and private businesses. So thank you so much for uh, being able to share that with us. Well, thank you, Nick, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for the opportunity.